You are listening to Press Church Podcasts. Please enjoy this week's message. The title of my sermon is The Business of Blessing. The Business of Blessing. That God is in a business, and that business is blessing, and business is good. That God is in the business of blessing. As I was thinking back over the weekend, Friday and Saturday and, and this morning, about the, the loss in our family and thinking about the simple fact of, I know this man was a godly man. I know that he stood in faith and believed in his healing all the way until Friday that God was going to heal him. Even though his body did not show that, he stood in faith and believed that. Same is true with Pastor John as he went through his journey. And it's a great opportunity for me or different people can look at that experience in those two men and automatically let it change the truth that is God is a healer. And I thought, no, 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 I'm not going to take that opportunity. What I'm going to do is double down and say not only is God a healer, but God wants to heal and God will continue to heal. That we have to understand that our emotions and our circumstances should never change or cause us to falter what that book says, what the Word says, what God says. And so the scripture that I want to highlight and talk about is in Numbers chapter 23. You can go to the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. Go to the fourth book called Numbers. Numbers chapter 23. Balaam, a prophet, makes this statement. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said it? Then he will not do. Has and will he not do it? Or has he spoken? And will he not make it good? God is not a man that he should lie, nor son of man who will repent. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. I want to encourage you today, no matter what the circumstance is in your life, His Word is true. No ifs, ands, or buts. What God told you in the past is still just as true today as it was when He spoke it. God's Word, the Bible, is still just as true when He Men were inspired to write it down. It has the same power, has the same authority. It can be used by anyone at any time, in any country, in any language, because God is not a man that he should lie. The story surrounding this scripture is a very interesting story. You should go and read it this week. Numbers 22, 23, and 24 is where the whole story can be found. The children of Israel have come into the promised land. And there is a king, I keep getting the, 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 the name of 
his land confused. I want to say the king of Mordor, but that's, that's Lord of the Rings. That's something else. He's the king of Moab, king of Moab, and he sees them show up, these children of Israel. He doesn't know them. He says, I just know they came from Egypt, and my people are scared and worried that they're going to take things over. So he goes to this random prophet by the name of Balaam, and he says, I need you to curse these people. Now, this is a man of God. This is a prophet of God, and he has no idea who these people are. And he says, well, let me go talk to the Lord and find out what's going on. And if you read in Numbers chapter 22, when Balaam comes to God and they have this conversation, he says, who are these people? And they want me to curse them. And God says, who are the people that just came and talked to you? He said, well, there's this king, and he wants me to curse these people. And God says, they can't be cursed because they are blessed. It should have ended right there. Balaam should have said, well, okay, well, I've got nothing to do with that then. But he went back and he says, well, I can't do anything. The Lord says I can't, I can't curse them. So they left and they came back and they said, no, you, you have to come with us. So the Lord tells Balaam, hey, if they ask you to come, then you go. He said, all right. So they asked him to come. And if you read uh, chapter 23, it starts off with God was mad at Balaam for going because he went. He's like, well, you told me to go if they asked me to go, but you're mad at me because I went. So he gets on a donkey, and he starts his trek over there. If you've been in kids' church, you've heard this story before. And this donkey can see this angel that Balaam can't see. And every time he tries to move or do something, that angel is there with a sword, and it says that he throws him off. He goes down this narrow area, and he smashes him into a wall and hurts his foot. And eventually he gets to this area and the the angel is standing right there and the donkey just lays down. And every time Balaam beats that donkey, you buck me off, he beats him. You smash my foot, he beats him. Now you're just laying here not doing anything. And that donkey has had enough. If our animals could talk now. (laughs) And it says that God opened Balaam's eyes and he sees that angel standing right there. And that donkey turns around and says, In all our years of you owning me, have I ever done this? All right, donkey, calm down. He says, well, no, but I was angry at you. You did this, you did this, you did this. And he says, well, I saw this angel. He said, well, that makes sense now. I'm sorry about that. And they have this conversation. What do you think, after this whole story, Balaam still has that donkey and knows that he talked to him once? I'd be watching that donkey with the eye every time. Say something. I just, no, say something. I, I wish. So he finally gets to Balak, the king of Moab, and he says, all right, take me on this hill and let's see what God wants to say. He says, I want you to uh, make a burnt offering, seven goats, seven bulls, and, and we'll see what God has to say. And when he comes back, all he does is pronounce a blessing over the children of Israel. Balak's not a fan of that. He said, I didn't call you here to bless them. I called you here to curse them. He said, well, I can only say what God tells me to say. He said, well, let's go. You would think Balak would be like, all right, I'm done. We're backing out. We're done. He said, well, let's go to this other side and see. Like changing of locations, like God's going to be like, oh, they moved to another mountain. That's a great place to curse. No, no, no. They are blessed, and they can't be cursed. 
So they go to a second place. And that second place that they offer it is where he utters this phrase right here. And then if you read in chapter 24 is the third blessing that he places over it. And Balak throws his hands up and says, all right, I got to go. This, this isn't working. But in the middle of Balaam being inspired by God, prophesying over his people, over the children of Israel in front of the king, in front of the, uh, at that point, who wasn't a part of the covenant, who had no right, which is why we see in the old covenant, God says in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, but then when the Israelites go throughout their journey, God tells them to kill everybody. Wait a second, God, you're contradicting yourself. Hey, thou shalt not kill, but you're killing the Philistines and the Amalekites and the Moabites and the Thesites and the Thatites. God, what are you doing here? Well, the Ten Commandments were for his people, for his children, for their rules, for their laws. But these Philistines, these Moabites, they weren't under the covenant. And God would say, you kill every one of them, women and children as, as well. Because you're blessed. Doesn't matter what enemy is surrounding you. Doesn't matter what enemy is coming against you. You're blessed. The old covenant was do good, get good, do bad, get bad. So when the Israelites understood that they were blessed and they walked in that blessing and they were, they were serving him and they were worshiping him and doing all those things, goodness followed them everywhere they went. But as soon as they started serving other gods and marrying other women and doing these different things... Do bad, get bad. God say, okay, all right. This is the requirement of the old covenant. And then they would be taken over. Then they would call out to God. That's all what Judges was about. And he makes this statement in the middle of the blessing that God is not a man that he should lie. That at this point in time, the Israelites had no idea that there was an enemy trying to attack them. They had no idea that there was a curse trying to be placed upon them and destroy them from afar. Had no idea. But God was already fighting their battles. God was already pronouncing a blessing over them. Had no idea what was happening, but God was already moving and saying, I am not a man that I should lie, nor a son of man who should repent. So we see... We're going to look at each one of these lines. God is not a man that he should lie. He's in the business of blessing. First point I want to highlight is that God only tells the truth. Only tells the truth. You see, in the context of this passage, of this scripture, it is encompassed in blessing. But we can take this scripture and pull more truths out of it as well, to understand the character, to understand the nature, to understand who God is in this scripture, that, but it's still completely surrounded by God wanting to bless his people. That word lie there in the Hebrew means to lie or deceive. God is truth, therefore he cannot lie. He cannot lie. Therefore, anything that God says automatically becomes truth. There is no lie in him. Since God is truth, he's not trying to lie or deceive you. God is not a snake oil salesman. People in church have been hurt, wounded, and left the church because of that simple idea right there, that they think that God is a snake oil salesman. He offers you all of these things, 
and then you show up and it doesn't work, the prayers don't get answered, people at church are mean, the pastor said this, they just want my money, all this stuff, and they say, no, I'm done. I'm done. I can't, I can't deal with that. They have a circumstance happen in their life and all of a sudden it pushes them away from God instead of running to him. And all of a sudden, they have this thought that maybe God is a liar. Well, God says this in his word, but my circumstance, my emotion, my encounter says this, and it feels more real than what this book says. So somebody's lying, and my experience feels pretty real right now, so it's got to be God. He's deceived me. His church has deceived me. Therefore, I'm leaving, never coming back. I'm done with you. But this scripture says God is not a man that he should lie. That word lie, he doesn't deceive. Doesn't deceive. Doesn't lie. If he said it, the scripture says he's going to do it. If he speaks it, it's going to happen. And we have to have resolution and faith in that. That in the middle of our circumstances, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of whatever's going on in your life, that there is a light, there is a shining beacon that's coming through called the Word of God that's saying everything else is a lie, but that is what I'm going to hold on to as my foundation. That is what I'm going to hold on to as my cornerstone. The chief cornerstone is what Jesus is called. God is not the deceiver, but there is a deceiver that is out there. There is a liar who's out there trying to convince you that God does not bless. There's a deceiver out there that wants to convince you that God doesn't want to bless. There's a deceiver out there that wants to convince you that God will bless you based on dependencies. Well, if you would have read your Bible this week, then you wouldn't have gotten a car crash. I mean, the math is simple. No, that doesn't make sense because Psalms 91 is protection, can abide under the shadow of the almighty wings, but he has sent his angels to take charge over me, that we have been deceived by the deceiver in thinking that God doesn't want to bless me. Well, I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know what's going on. But God, seeing the children of Israel in the Old Covenant, made the simple phrase, they are blessed. You now, as a son and daughter of the Most High God, under the New Covenant, you are blessed. Blessed and highly favored by your Abba Father. In Revelations chapter 12, verse 10... We see John talking about the experience that he saw in heaven. And he says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So there is an accuser, there is a deceiver, the accuser of the brethren, and it's not God, and God's already cast him down. So I want to show you this interesting little thing that hopefully can help you. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, we're going deep into the Old Covenant. 
a rule, a law that was placed in the Old Covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 19, uh, verses 15 through 19. It says, One witness shall not rise against a man or woman concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, that matter shall be established. Verse 16, if a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, verse 17, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priest and the judges who serve in those days. Verse 18, and the judge shall make careful inquiry and indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, verse 19, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you. Now watch how good God is. Watch how good this new covenant is. In the old covenant, the thing was, if I had an offense against Mr. Jim, my father-in-law, and I had a reason for that, then I could take him to the high priest, to the judge, and say, well, I have an offense against him. Well, he says, first of all, that doesn't even fly in court because it's got to be done. Whatever happened, you have to have two or three witnesses to validate that. So then once you validate that, he says you can go before the Lord, go before the high priest, and go before the judges and explain your case. The high priest and the judge will ask questions and find out if me bringing that accusation against Mr. Jim was true or false. And if I said, well, he stole money from me and he deserves to give me back $10,000, and then the judge with the witnesses and all that says, you're a false witness. Therefore, now, according to the law of the old covenant, I am entitled to take on the same punishment that I was trying to place on him now comes upon me. Now I owe him $10,000. That was the case. We might have some different court cases <laughs> that, would, that would change if that was... But watch this. We just saw in Revelations that there is an accuser of the brethren, one witness, that has brought a charge against you and said that you're a sinner, you're not righteous, you don't deserve the blood of Christ, you're a loser, you're a failure. He's one witness. And it says if that's the law, if that's the rule, one, it doesn't fly in court. You've got to have two or three witnesses show up to accuse you. But if you get to that court case, it's before the Lord, it's before the judge, it's before the high priest. Now look at this, in the new covenant right now, if I go to that court case, I've got the Lord sitting on the throne right there. He's my Abba Father, so I feel like I've got a, I've got a good in with the judge already. Standing next to me is my big brother Jesus. Standing next to me is the mediator, it says in 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy. And standing next to me is the one who's interceding for me. Standing next to me is the high priest that they call him in Hebrew. Standing next to me in Acts chapter 10, Paul, Peter calls Jesus the judge of the living and the dead. So if I go to this court case with the accuser of the brethren, I've got the Lord on my side. I've got the judge on my side. I've got the Holy Spirit inside of me, and I've got the high priest on my side. Also, 
I've got two or three witnesses on my side. I've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit on my side that are giving the witness and the testimony that, no, that's my son. He's no longer a sinner. That's my daughter. She's no longer a failure. She's no longer a loser. Whatever the accuser of the brethren is trying to accuse them of and saying, no, he's mine. She's mine. They're supposed to go to hell. They're not supposed to be saved. They're not supposed to get in heaven. It says that the same penalty that he's accusing me of now gets turned back on him. Because where two or three witnesses, it says that matter is established. No ifs, ands, or buts. His word is true. God is not a man that he should lie. Do you see how saved you are? Do you see how much your Father in heaven, your big brother Jesus, and the Holy Spirit inside of you are calling out and crying out how much that blood has washed you as far as your sin is from the east and the west has been removed? Is how much he loves you. His word is established. Look at Psalms chapter 119, verse 160. And the simple idea, I'm not great at math, but it says that I believe three witnesses are better than one witness. Although the devil thinks and wants you to think that his one witness against you, you're a sinner, you're a loser, nobody likes you, this, that, that. He wants you to think that his deceiving lies are greater than the three testimonies of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm a dumb Cajun, but that math doesn't add up. One is not greater than three. Three is greater than one. And this scripture says the entirety, or another translation says, the sum of all of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. The sum total of your word is truth. The formula is equals truth. His word, God's word, equals truth. No ifs, ands, or buts. Light moves at 299,792,458 meters per second. Light moves at 671 million miles per hour. The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. It's moving that fast from a simple phrase, let there be light. That God spoke that at the beginning of creation. That truth was uttered, that truth was spoken, let there be light, and light was, and light is still being at 186,000 miles per second. Second, 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 flying. In 1676, a Danish astronomer, Ole Romer, was the first person to measure the speed of light. 1676, first person to measure the speed of light. In 1905, Albert Einstein came up with the theory of relativity and his famous equation E equals mc squared. The truth was spoken and established at creation. Light be and light was and light was moving. 
1676, however many years that was from creation until the first human said, I wonder if you can measure light. Let me pull out my tape measure. Okay, yeah, yeah, you can. And it wasn't until 1905 that Albert Einstein came up with his theory of relativity. But up until 1676, light could have been measured. It was there. The truth was always there. As soon as God spoke it, it was truth and it was established. It just took time for humans to understand, realize it, measure it, and encounter it. Whether you believe it or not, his word is true. You are blessed. You are saved. You are healed. You are restored. He is your father. He does care about you. He does love you. He does want to see good things happen in your life and in your future. He does want to bring you to heaven. He does want to heal you. He does want to take care of you. Whether you believe it or not, his word is true. God is not a man that he should lie. If he said it, he's going to do it. God's word is truth. We're nowhere close. We're going to finish right there. And we're going to pick, up, pick it up next week. We got plenty of time. So we're going to take each line upon that. The next one, next week we'll talk about God is not sorry for blessing. God's not sorry for blessing. The last two lines, God will do what he says and God will make it good. And we'll talk about those next week. Let's stand up as we get ready to head out. I want you to be encouraged today and know that God is not trying to lie to you. God is not trying to deceive you. God is not trying to embarrass you, make you look like the fool. Well, you go to that church and they believe in this, but this didn't happen. Or what about this situation? Or what about this encounter? No, no, no. Listen, I, I wish I had all the answers. I wish I could explain why godly men and women die before their time. I wish I could explain to you and your family on why this happened and that happened. I, I don't have all the answers. If I did, I'd make a killing selling them. <laughs> we all would. That's not my job, to provide all the answers. It's his job. God can hold his own. He can hold his own. He can, you can ask him the hard questions. He's not going to be embarrassed. He's not going to be angry. He's not going to be frustrated. You can ask him the hard questions. Why'd this happen? What's going on? What, can you show me? Tell me. Explain. You can ask him the hard questions. But what's better is still believing him. Remember when doubting Thomas was there, he says, if I put my hands in his side and his, in his fingers, in the holes in his hands, then I'll believe. Jesus showed up and said, hey, you asked the hard questions. Come on, come do it. And he said, well, uh, okay. He said, my Lord, my Savior, I believe. And then Jesus says, blessed are those who don't see yet still believe. Still a blessing, always attached. Don't let your circumstance dictate and think that what he said in that book's a lie. Don't be deceived by that notion. If he said it, then he meant it, and he wants it to happen 
in your life. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to read your word, study your word, encounter your word. Thank you that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish exactly what it's supposed to do. Father, I thank you that you are not a liar. You are the truth. You sent your son Jesus, it says in John, and he is full of grace and truth. That we know that there is a father of lies. We know that there is accuser of the brethren that's out there who is trying to lie and deceive. But it says in your word that you sent your son for the sole purpose of destroying the works of the father of lies and the accuser of the brethren, that dumb devil. Father, I thank you that, God, you are on our side. You are taking care of us. You are doing good things in our lives, in this church, and in this community. And, Father, we are not going to let our situations dictate or lead us away from the truth that we know in this book. And so we stand on your word. We stand that you are true and that everything else is a lie. We believe your word. We believe what your book says. We believe what the prophetic word says. We stand on your word today and let it bypass all of our circumstances, knowing that you are in charge and you are going to lead us and guide us into all truth. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you that they're healed and whole. They're the head and not the tail. They're blessed where they are right now, and they're blessed in the future that you're bringing them to. They have the mind of Christ. They are the salt and light of the earth. They are a city set on a hill. Father, I thank you they are highly favored, that everything they put their hands to must prosper. Father, I thank you you are protecting them. You are surrounding them. You are sending your angels out everywhere that they go and keeping them safe. Now, Father, bring them back safely next Sunday and bring the women here on Tuesday for the women's Bible study. In Jesus' name, Amen. We'll pick up where we left off next week. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you all next Sunday. Take care, family. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.